0: Hey there, fellow humans, Mark LeBusque for the Simply Practically Human podcasts. Imagine this, if you would, tradie to working with some of the biggest bands in the world in security, strength and conditioning coach at Elite Sport, traveling around the world, working with some tennis players, and at 49 years of age, first time dad. And that's my guest today, which is an amazing um, human being kind-hearted warm-hearted it would be some of the ways I'd um, describe Michael Ray he's also an author speaker and he wrote an incredible book called who knew from bouncing and barbells to ballet and braids and today Michael is going to share his journey at 49 being a first-time dad and and now single parenting and some of the lessons that he's learned along the way. And I'm going to say some of the great stories that he's going to be able to share and some tools and tips to help all human beings in that, uh, in the challenge of fatherhood and of parenthood and, um, just, uh, super passionate, super purposeful, super meaningful about the way that he goes about this. I just loved, uh, love the energy that he brings to the work that he does. And, um, Interestingly, when he's not uh, speaking to people around the world or um, doing his writing or or what what he does, he's spending a lot of time with his lovely daughter Charlie at their house just outside of Melbourne in in Victoria, Australia with their 15 pets. Also road trips to zoos because Charlie loves zoos and when they're not doing that, they're out uh, catching a wave and surfing somewhere. So have a listen to this one. There is so much gold in this, whether you are new to parenthood new as a father or you know you've got older kids there are some great things here that you can take out of it enjoy life can get pretty complicated
1: in the simply practically human podcast mark lebask talks to incredible humans to see the way forward more clearly through the complexity in the world and in our heads let's get ready to thrive
0: Joined again today by another amazing human being, good bloke and author of Who Knew? From Bouncing and Barbells to Ballet and Braids, Michael Ray. Michael, thanks for joining me, mate. You're welcome, Mark. Thanks for the opportunity. Look, I I love the work you do. I I Thank you for the book. I've only really flicked through it, but I've got about 50 little post-it notes in it already just with some of the amazing insights from you, some of the vulnerability, some of what you've shared with your experiences with fatherhood and parenting, so we'll, we'll jump into that. But I always like to start on how, how we connected, and I usually let my guest kick that off. How did we touch base? Well, can you recall how that happened?
1: Well, oh, Mark, I've seen your stuff on LinkedIn, which is a great platform for uh, making these connections, finding people not only with similar alignment, but also opposing ones that make you think. But it was uh, the amazing Ray Bonney's radio show where I heard you, and I thought, "Gee whiz, there's uh, a lot to dig into with your stuff." That uh, I really found enlightening as well.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Been similar for me, mate. With um, and look, shout out to Ray who's been on the podcast, and uh, she had said that you were going to be on, and had a listen as well to you. And then I thought, we've got to get you uh, get you on here because there's so much richness in. In your lived experience, that I think is is needed to be shared for the world, and I know you get to do that. You do a lot of speaking and talking to groups of people, so we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that stuff. But I guess the starting point for me is you know, looking at the book, and 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 I'm going I'm going to read something off the book on the back here because I think this captures things incredibly well. And you say this, which which is incredible. Rather than fatherhood being limiting as it may appear from the outside i found fatherhood has given me the freedom to cast off the ego, facade and outdated gender expectations and actually discover who I am as a person, as a man and most importantly, as a parent. But bloody powerful words, mate. And for your situation too, you got into parenting at a at a, at a later age than what people would say would be the norm. Whether there is a norm, mate, I don't really think there is. But so, so much to get into. Can you share a bit about the early days of growing up, and where you grew up, and then sort of where you've got to today. It would be great to hear.
1: Um, Mark, I grew up in the typical heteronormative, stereotypical family. Dad was the breadwinner, worked bloody hard for his family. Mum ran the ran the household, so all of that completely normal. I grew up with the um, my version of a good father was a good breadwinner, so my ideal was preparing myself for fatherhood was to accumulate assets and skills to be able to provide and had little thought about the nurturing or caring because that was always going to be mum's job. And that was my example, did an apprenticeship in, into a trade for that exact reason. This will give me the, the ability to earn a good income, to be a good father. And then I got introduced to doing security, took off provided bodyguard services for nearly every major rock band that came through melbourne in the 80s working for a company called new breed security if you'd be around in those days you would have seen us at all the concerts and yep. in the background at all the rock clips so had a fairly colorful life went into the strength and conditioning and coaching ended up coaching internationally with professional tennis players in america and women's health resorts in bali so led a fairly carefree and exuberant life and then suddenly it Age forty nine after a short term relationship became a father.
0: I was around in the eighties, mate. That's sort of my my era, the eighties. So who were some of the bands that you were hanging out with at that stage and doing some work with?
1: I remember sleeping on the floor with in excess at my boss's place when they came down from Sydney. But travelled with Bon Jovi and even did a rocking with the Royals concert uh, when Prince's time Prince Philip came. But every major. Concerts, so festival, every anything at Festival Hall, anything at uh, any of the stadiums. So Calder Park, Guns and Roses, uh, Bruce Springsteen, walking around the city with uh, police, with Stuart Copeland, you know, and uh, sing. Yeah, so great, great youth.
0: Cheers. Old, the old Gunners back in. Uh, I was actually living up in Far North Queensland at the time, so I didn't get to see him, but I did see him a few years back, and I think they're supposed to be back out here in November this year, COVID willing, I guess, to see where they come back. And then, was it 49 when you became a father? Was that right?
1: Yes. Rather than being the cool dad, I'd hopefully be described as sprightly.
0: Right. <laughs> and this is really interesting because, you know, such, um I guess, that, that traditional growing up of fatherhood and the dads, and, and I'll get you to talk about it. You said you came from a long line of of dads. And you talk about that in the book, which I found quite interesting, but, um, so it was all about, we, you know, get a trade, be there to provide. And then, then this event happened at at 49, which I think it sounds like fundamentally changed a lot of your values, beliefs, and behaviors around that, that parenting and fatherhood. What was one of the, 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 the greatest surprises for you at that time, do you think?
1: Oh, Mark, I think the, depth of emotion and feeling that just came flooding out. I've come from a staunch background where, you know, boys don't cry and all of the other ridiculous stereotypes. And I've just become an un- uncontrolled way. As I say, I've become emotionally incontinent. <laughs> you know, a, a quantasad ad will see me crying. The mums at the ballet school used to tease me about crying all the time, watching my daughter cry. And it seems like, Forty-nine years of holding it all in have suddenly been let loose, and you know that's what I say to guys: it, it's all there. It's just society sort of stifles us a bit.
0: Yeah, I get, I get that too. It's, it's, it's an interesting, I think, for our family. We uh, the Lebusque men have um, always seemed to be quite emotionless, and uh, and I, I think even at times when you feel like you might get a bit teary, you geez, you fight it hard to make sure it doesn't happen. You just said then, Michael, which I I. I I think it's interesting it's, you know, being teased for crying is really, you know, and interesting. I hear a lot of people when I'm doing my work and they say, look, I'm sorry, I might get emotional now. And I'm like, well, what are you, usually women say that. What are you sorry about? The blokes, they try to put the greatest suit of armour on to stop that. As you started to show that emotion, how did it change you as a human being, do you think?
1: Like, well, one one thing I learned from watching Oprah, this does nothing when you're about to cry, so you can throw <laughs> that out and uh, love it. just let it loose. But it made me wonder why I was crying when I was, like, exuberantly happy. So I thought rather than it's just the association that we put with it, and it's much like the connection when we learn to speak. It's, you know, an apple's an object and a word's an abstract description of it, but we learn to put that together. And yeah. we would learned to put together that crying is somehow – weakness and that's what I would say to a lot of the guys who teach me keep teasing me and I'll show you how weak I am and suddenly the teasing would stop and that's what I say to people a lot of the times when I'm in a room full of men and the emotions start the outpouring of emotion when they're in that safe space when they feel like they're not going to be judged while we what, what a uh, amazing bunch of blokes that suddenly are, are comfortable and secure in in it. And that's what I say we've got to be very careful that we don't make people feel insecure about expressing anything, whether it be negativity or emotion, because that negativity can very quickly spiral into shame and shame does no one any good.
0: Absolutely. I'm sure there'll be many people listening to this and be able to relate to it because you said you've gone to you're emotionally incontinent now. Well, I guess the other way for us was just to be emotionally blocked, and I, it's really great to hear a, a guy talking about this. And when I was reading through your book, I was flicking through a bit there. There were some events along the way, but you know, after you, you're a dad, and I think you talk about the ballet school and the dance school and the and the ability to go backstage, and it was like, no, no, you can't do that because you're a you're a bloke, you're a dad, and that really sort of. Kicked something open because I believe you you spoke to Susie O'Brien. You did an article, and all of a sudden, that sort of became something of its own, didn't it?
1: Yeah, that's what really kicked me off into the space that I'm in. Market went national, it went international. We ended up on BBC News. One of the mums was a friend of Susie, and she contacted her. And the whole thing about being banned from assisting my daughter backstage at the ballet school—a little bit of it got misinterpreted as a men's rights issue, and that's why I said never, ever. It was just about my daughter not being the only child without a parent by her side through no circumstances, you know, nothing in her control because I was her only parent, still am the only parent in her life. So it was a matter of her rights and her not being made to feel different. And the silly thing was at that stage we were going through the marriage equality debate. So I said to the school, you know, hopefully soon you'll have two mums, two dads, and because of the wonderful diversity of contemporary families where mums are breadwinner, do you really want mum to have to go, I'm going to step out of my career if dad's the main carer, to come and assist my daughter when dad's perfectly able? And one of the things that's troubling is the casualties at which – men can be portrayed as potential perpetrators. Yes. You Yes. Know, you know, and that's why I say, Mark, I've got my working with children check after being a swim teacher for 18 years, and it was, well, little girls might feel uncomfortable with a male backstage, but there were two boys in the class as well, and there was no concern for them feeling uncomfortable with all of the women backstage. Yep. And that's why I say it's just that constant subversive, not blatant undertone of, well, men shouldn't be around children, that not only impacts men, but puts pressure on women to do the majority of the child-based caring.
0: absolutely. And look, I think some of the things you talk about then, two mums, two dads, the parenting, the way things are changing, it seems almost absurd, Michael, that we would get trapped in that. And then I think about Charlie as well, because for a young child, there's an element of safety to have their parent around, regardless of whether it's mum or dad or or whatever and I think sometimes we forget those things about you know front and centre there is the safety of the child which it sounds a little bit like it got lost there but what I do love is that there's been an event that has created something in you to get to where you've got to and in the great work that you do today I do want to go back a bit if we can because I when I read in your book I come from a long line of dads and, and it's like, my, you know, and it is a long line of dads and I'd love you to talk a little bit about that and what that means. You talked before a bit about the provider and that, but what what else do you learn from coming from a long line of dads?
1: Oh, well, We look to our dads for that example, for that role model, for how to deal with life and its challenges and, it, you know, your victories as well as your losses. So we tend to congregate into that, group so the boys are all off doing something the girls are all off doing something and and that's where we learn it and all of my dads when you look not so much at the behavior but at the values that underlie that behavior well those values are universal so sticking to your word treating others with respect all the rest of it it doesn't matter what gender you are and That's what I've found has influenced my parenting. And while my dad never sat me down and told me how to do a French braid, which YouTube did, and never taught me, you know, how to wipe my daughter's backside, and I'll I'll give you one of the funny things is as a male, I've never the most overwhelming, constant piece of advice I was given when Charlie was an infant was the direction in which you need to wipe the backside. And it's like you can only wipe it, don't ever wipe it, and it's really, you know. So all of those fatherhood things, and my mantra is now we need to enable, encourage, and finally expect men to be held equally responsible for raising the next generation. And part of the enabling is raising our boys with the expectation that they are going to be nurturers and raising the children, not just the breadwinners. So, you know, rather than just women have that expectation or girls have that expectation that you'll become a woman when you become a mother. Yeah. well there's no sort of same expectation with men one day you'll become a father but you need to be a man before you become a father and mm. it just gets lost so luckily i was able to look past the breadwinning and realize why he did it and it was commitment to family so my dad did whatever was needed for his family and he, and he did it well
0: yes and um and then you know things change and you do say this that well you say parenting does not change you but it reveals who you really are and i find that I have a curiosity around that, Michael, to understand more. If there was one or two things that it revealed for you or about you, what what would they be?
1: Uh, it revealed that I'd been caught up in the trap of comparison. Right. wanted to be in that group of blokes who wanted to be amongst the group of blokes who wanted to be amongst the group of blokes, and no one in those groups actually knew who they were. They were all trying to live up to what others expected of them. And when I do talks, that's why I'd say to guys, you know, if – if you had an employer who wanted you to dress a certain way, to wear the uniform, to behave in a certain way and carry on those values, how much would you want to do it for a year solid? What about five years? What about the rest of your life? And that's what society does to it. And I've learned, you know what? A lot of the stuff I was doing that I thought was important doesn't really matter. I've, I've found my uh, why in life and it's my daughter.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, mate. As you're talking about that, and then I'm thinking about real life things here now. So I remember when I was at my local cricket club an hour out of Melbourne when we lived up at Wallen that, you know, you'd sort of lose blokes along the way because all of a sudden they had a child and you'd be like, oh, yeah, he's under the thumb and he's he, – he. and, and we've, you know, we used to think this, we've lost a good cricketer. There was no thought about what else was going on. Even though I was a parent at the time, it's like, shit, how do we get him back to the club? But there – there is that real pull and that real challenge in this space, isn't there, between hanging out with the boys, which which I enjoy doing at times as well, but you know, my kids are in their mid and late 20s, but then there's that challenge of allowing people to move into another stage of their lives and still knowing that you can hang out with them. How do we balance that separation or that, that conflict that goes on there, do you think?
1: Oh, Mark, I agree. Don't forget, I had 49 years of yeah. having the – the most blokey fun life that I could ever have but for me now it's really easy for me to say no because I've got a clear grasp of what's important to me so I don't feel like I'm missing out I just feel like well you know it doesn't really interest me and I still catch up with my friends and you know and that's what i say in the book about good enough parenting you know we've fallen into this instagrammable social media world where everything's got to be perfect and you've got to be preparing free course meals and being the best parent you can and there's nothing wrong with finding fulfillment and joy in knocking around with your mates or anything like that or your career but you've got to look at the whys that you're doing it and if spending an afternoon with the blokes at the pub makes you get home and enjoy your time better with your child then it's beneficial the same as You know, we realize with strength and conditioning now that recovery is just as important as the actual stimulus or the training to cause that. So all the training, all the work, all the parenting, you don't get that time away to recharge. You're not going to go anywhere. So it's just a little bit of everything, but it's a matter of being authentic and not being. Mums suffer a lot from what we call mum guilt. You know, if their career takes off and, you know, they get judged a lot more harshly. But men also get microaggressions and judged harshly for not being as committed to work. You know, my leave loud, leave proud mantra is something that a lot of blokes, you know, I see them putting their jacket on the back of the chair and sneaking out at three o'clock to do the school run and sneaking back in. And it's like, why did you do it? And yet the reason our careers and our income is important is because of our family. So the very thing that you're doing all of this for, you're embarrassed to do it. And workplaces really need to facilitate the family life to stop turnover and stress and burnout, because they're the two biggest pulls in life is what my boss wants for a man and what my family needs. And that's what's causing so much damage for men.
0: Yeah, and look, I've seen some stats around, you know, even even with allowing for that parental leave now for men that a lot of them don't take it up because they are concerned about the whispers that are going on in the, in the workplace. Mate, I want to dig into Loud and Proud because are you sure you weren't hanging around at Australia Post, mate, when I was working there? Because that little trick that you just talked about, leaving the jacket on the back of the chair, that was my go-to when my son, who's now 28, I was coaching his under-twelve cricket team and we were living out an hour out of Melbourne. So I think it was on a Wednesday. What I would do is I would duck off with some folders under my arm and my jacket would still be on the back of my chair. And I'd have to get on the I think it was like the four thirty train back to Wollen, the V-line train. So I'd walk out into the foyer like I was heading off to a meeting, and then I'd bolt down to get on the tram to get down to Spencer Street and And make sure I got home and hope like hell I didn't get a phone call in between from someone who could hear me on a train and all this sort of stuff. Like this, I'm a bit embarrassed by that now, I've got to say, because I have a very different view on how that should be. But geez, the guilt, mate, the guilt that I might have got caught at the time. And even though I tried to say I don't really care about it, I did care about it. And if I had got caught, I don't know what my story should have been. My story should have been this. I'm actually coaching my son's cricket team. But I don't think I would have said that. I would have been some other, you know, I had to get home for something in an emergency. How do you help blokes get out of that, that mindset?
1: Mark, it's funny, you know, we can sit there and come up with all of these strategies and parental leave and equal opportunity and diversity inclusion now has really become a regulatory tick box exercise for a lot of companies. And one of the biggest problems I see with the diversity and inclusion, they've actually excluded half of the population because men aren't seen as inclusive. So we need we're focusing rightfully on the minorities, but we've completely forgotten about half of all of the parents with the dads. Now, the leave loud, leave proud, I don't care what strategy or policy you've got in place, culture within an organization or a team, whatever group each strategy for breakfast. So you can have it all there. And a lot of the times paternity leave for dads is a bit like fight club. We've got it, but don't mention it. So unless it's really supported by, I find the biggest problem is middle management. So the C-suite right up the top, they're in, yep, we've got it. The figures, we show that it has a good return and stops turnover. But the managers of middle management who are judged on their figures don't really want men to do it and what happens then is those microaggressions i enjoy your holiday and you know and that's what you'd say it's it's not an easy job it's very rewarding but being the hands-on parent there's no break women have been saying it for ages and men have been a little bit sort of dismissive of it because men work hard and i think one of the biggest problems we have is men don't advocate or speak up Women do, and they do it great, and they do it really well. But we've only had one side of it. And when we hear about the mental load that mothers under and we hear about the motherhood penalty and all factual, documented, there are peer-reviewed papers saying it can take up to 12 years for mums to regain their career and yep. their income after stepping out of the workforce. But there's also the fatherhood forfeit. We lose that yes. time, that connection, those first with our children, and it's the opposite side of the same coin. And while we say that while there are choices, it's like having what's-his-name sword hanging over your head. Yes. There's a consequence for each thing. And you weren't scared of impacting your career or letting your boss down. You were actually scared of it impacting your ability to provide for your family. Yep. Now, yep. we've just recently seen Caroline Wilson, the football commentator, actually have a go at two of the football players who chose to stay in town and support their wives through pregnancy rather than honour their commitments to their team. Can you imagine how much pressure that is as a man to be asked to forgo seeing the birth of your child because of your career or your teammates or your organisation? Like that is just shocking and harmful and just wrong on every level.
0: I think it's a great example to to give right now because let's go back 10 15 20 years they, they would have played they would have played the game but now yeah. like you know the guys out because he's for personal reasons and it's the birth of a child like that's an incredible event to be at I've even seen one just in the last couple of days mate with um with the talk of Lockie Neil wanting to head back from the Brisbane Lions because his his wife's due to have a baby soon and get back to their family in Perth and she's come out swinging again on that one and it's like this isn't useful because I don't know what the underlying motive of, of, of that sort of rubbish is from Caro, but what I think about is we're talking about human beings here. Mm. And and it sort of leads me to this, is when I hear about the stuff about women in the workplace, one of the things I think we don't talk about a lot is how women hold women back at, as well at times. We always hear about how men do, and they do, don't get me wrong, but what about how men hold men back from doing this sort of stuff. Like those guys that I worked with at Post, they used to say to me, well, they gave me a timesheet in a frame for my 40th birthday and I was like, what's this about? Ike oh, because, you know, you, you don't work as long hours as us. And I'm like, well, fuck you. Like yep. do I have to do that? But why do men do this shit to other men and, you know, oh, what do you mean you're going to the ballet concert? Like why do they do it?
1: Yeah. Even now I get asked when I'm going to return back to my strength and conditioning you know, I was a strength and conditioning in the AFL for Port Melbourne. The first year they got, became the Sydney Swans reserves. And, and it's just not something that I want to be away from my child at the moment, but I've only got a few more years and she's probably going to think I'm too daggy to hang around. Then I'm already getting eye rolls at my hilarious dad jokes. So there's nothing to stop me going back into it then. But again, it's, Men, we do this. We've got to drink more. We've got to work more. We've got to, everything's a contest. And it starts from, we even have peeing contests at some stage. You know, who can pee further? Like everything doesn't have to be a, a contest. And I get trolling from as many women as what I do men. And women also have the, you'll never understand what it's like to be a mother because you don't carry your child for nine months. And that's why I said I'm 100% right. I could never understand, and it's amazing. But you seem to be speaking with great clarity and confidence about the lesser extent of my love, my devotion, my connection to my child as a father, and I don't understand how you can do it. And then they usually go back to the, well, we carry them, and that's why I say, well, that's biology. That's not dedication and commitment. But what you're also doing is you're having a dip at grandfathers, stepfathers, foster, adoptive, same-sex couples who may achieve through surrogacy. So I think that while it might seem self-serving, it also is counterproductive and leads back to that mum guilt. You know, you should be the one nurturing it because you carried it. And, you know, we grow up in that society that says only a mother's love, mother knows best, maternal instinct, and all of those fetishized depictions of motherhood that put women under pressure, they limit them, but it also causes us dads to doubt ourselves because I was exactly like that. I just believed that my daughter's mother would know more than what I would because of her, her gender. And yeah. it turns out it's like any other skill, Mark. It's just you learn it. It's not mother knows best as much as its practice makes progress. And the more you do it, the easier it gets.
0: Yeah, so look, I think what I'm picking up from that, there's so many great things in there. One, you know, that what well, we've all got to be supportive of each other, but in particular, it'd be great if if blokes supported blokes a bit more when they wanted to do some of these things. So if someone says I'm going to take that leave because I can, rather than the snide comment about oh, what's it going to mean to your career, or you know, if I can be a soft, you getting soft in your old age or something, it's like how about we support each other? I'm looking at mate very timely today. This must have been worlds aligning, but you put some amazing stats up on some social stuff and, and LinkedIn on, you know, half of new fathers report feeling stressed or anxious about needing to be that rock, that provider in the family. But this is the one that really hit home for me. Over half, half of new fathers report not spending as much time as they'd wish with their child. Now, if we go back to the leaving work loud and proud, there's something in that too. I'm hoping you can share some real, and it doesn't have to be new fathers here as well, because I think it's just for fathers at any time. If you've been caught in the fatherhood trap and and you can't do it and your kids are getting on, you can still make some, I call it adaptive change to your beliefs and your behaviours. Mate, what would three things be that you would share with uh, males, females, whatever, that would be really helpful for them to get out of that mindset of, I need to be in the, I need to be in the job rather than with my kids at some important times. What would
1: you say? Well, the, the main one is, Mark, there's numerous studies, peer-reviewed studies that show there's no linear progression for income and good outcomes for children. And yep. if you were to forfeit some of your income for more time and connection with your child, your child's outcomes, even in literacy, education, behavioural, all the rest of it, go through the roof. So Mm. if you think that you're working yourself to death for the benefit of your children, I understand your motivation is great, but the practice is misguided and you need to retune that. Setting firm boundaries with your boss and being clear about it and not being sheepish. No, I've got this commitment with my child. Here's what I can do instead. Setting those boundaries up is good, but it's the moments between the moments that make the biggest difference, Mark. So those Little moments pay a compounding interest that build up over time. So the 15 minutes at the end of the day when they go to bed, you know, the first 30 minutes when you get home, depending on the age, like as our children get older, they drift off. But I urge anyone to look up the benefits of family dinners at the table. You know, everything from alcoholism to drug to all the rest of it. So if you can just set those regular boundaries... And it's what I call the mechanical parts of parenting, family dinners when they're young, reading, but actually some one-on-one time away from screens, or even if it's watching a movie together. But those little moments between the moments, the chats in the car, all of those things, just 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there, and that's what builds the parenting magic. That's where the gold lies, in my opinion.
0: I I love the moments between the moments. Maybe they're even the unexpected things that happen. I know in your book you talk about bubble baths and other bits and pieces like that. Mate, when you talked about the money and the bringing the money in and the relationship to good parenting and how much money you earn, um, we were on a, on a family holiday overseas back in 2016 and we were in, actually in Istanbul at the time and I was sitting in the breakfast buffet and there was a young girl with her dad and he was on his laptop at breakfast Mm. and she was, would have been about eight years old, I reckon, and she's like, Dad, you told me that you weren't going to get your laptop out when we are on holidays, and, and he just sort of kept tapping away, and he's like, you know, just eat away, keep doing what you're doing. And what I really loved, mate, is she kept saying it to him, but, Dad, you promised, you promised. And what horrified me, mate, and this comes from what you just said, he's common, he said, I need to be doing this to earn the money so we can come and have these holidays, and I was just like, I wanted to get up and go over and say, fucking hell, mate, What, what is that? But I'm also guilty. I can tell you I'm guilty of that with my phone at that those times I would have been as well. But just the impact that that would have, that really we're here because I've earned all this money, but I'm still caught up in my day-to-day work. It just doesn't make sense to me.
1: You know, Mark, I've been guilty. And my daughter pulls me up and that's why I'd say to her, you know, make sure you you pull me up if I'm there. But, you know, I suggest to a lot of guys, if, if it means stopping the car around the corner for 30 minutes and finishing off your email so that when you walk in the door, you're fully present because your kids want to unload. They want to tell you about all the stuff that happened to them. They, you know, they've been forced to sit still in school for the whole day and they just want to unload and give them that. I noticed with my daughter, if I'm trying to work and she'll be getting a little bit antsy, if I shut down the laptop and say, Bub, 30 minutes, what do you want to do? I'm yours, whether it's kicking the footy or going to shoot some hoops and then back. Then she's good for the rest of the day, but they just need that connection. And they're not an interruption to our work, our career. They're the purpose of it. And we've got this thing where our children are trying to manipulate us. They're not that conniving. They're not little masterminds. They're just seeking connection and reassurance that they're important. And it's easy to give it to them.
0: You talked before about about setting those boundaries and, you know, being upfront and honest about that with your boss. What's come to mind for me now then is allowing your kids to set boundaries for you. So what tips could you give to someone listening to this? And it's like, you know, it's got to work both ways here now, giving your, giving your young ones permission to set some boundaries, because you've just given a great example there with Charlie, like. You know, hey, come on, Dad, let's go and do some stuff. How do you give your kids the confidence to be able to give that instruction?
1: Mark, when I was in the strength and conditioning, I would work Saturdays because of the team sports. So it felt bad for me because my daughter wasn't at school. So Sundays were her days. So I'd say, but whatever it is. And I just wouldn't book anything. And yep. we always have conflicting things in life. So the boss will say, I need to do this. I can't. I've got this appointment fine, they reschedule other stuff. So there's no difference for an appointment with your kid. And if you're not comfortable in sharing that it's a family commitment with your boss, which I think you should, because it's a pretty important one. So Charlie's day used to be Sundays and she would get to pick where we went, what we ate, even what we wear. So a lot of times we're in matching outfits when she was younger. But Saturday nights would also be our night to watch something in bed. And during that night, this kid had to have a checklist with little tick boxes and write, Dad, I want to do this and I want to do that. And, but then it'll be, right, Bub, well, it's your day, but you've got something on the other side of town and you've got a couple of things here, so you need to group them. And now yes. this kid, you want to see our house with whiteboards. <laughs> this kid's <laughs> turned into a little planner and I'll do this because then while I've got the paint out, I can do that and then I can do this. And she does it all and that's why I said "Oh, I'm yours. It doesn't matter what it was. And you would think that at this stage she was around five, that this kid would run right with chocolate and ice cream and all the rest of it. But it would be Saturday night. What do you want for dinner, bub? Give her the choices. She would make the choice. And I'd say, no dessert. No, because tomorrow I want to have a milkshake and a cookie when we go here. And so that's why I say the best coaches and the best leaders I've ever worked with are the ones who give away their power and authority. They don't hoard it. And that's exactly what's happened with my kid and the choices that she makes now are probably sometimes a little bit more grown up and sensible than the ones I would make. Yes. And so it's all about lead and lag. We do hmm. it in business. You know, yep. the, the conditions we're in today are the lag and if we're managing by crisis and I can say to Charlie, look, move, we've got to hurry, I'll do it, move out of the way and it just means that's going to continue. We're managing by crisis. Whereas if I let her do it and go, you know what, I'm going to allow enough time, stretch projects in business are good and inevitable and they push. The same in training, it's what we call overreaching. But if you keep doing it, it becomes overtraining and we become burnt out. So it becomes, right, things are nice and easy now. I'm not going to book it in. Charlie can get up, make her own breakfast, make her own lunch, make all these things. And in the beginning, it took hours. But now I don't have to do any of that anymore because I focused on the lead. And the lag we're living with today, and that's why I say to parents, great parenting isn't swooping in and doing everything. Great parenting is trusting your children to get the hang of it and letting them grow and expand into their role.
0: And there's so much gold there, but there's so many lessons for the workplace as well because as you're talking, here's what's going through my mind, is the growth and learning opportunities for Charlie. Planning, decision-making, critical thinking, there's so many things that are going through my head. And the other one is is for you to trust what's going on by letting go. Now, mate, I hear that every second day when I'm working in corporates. You've got to let go a bit more. Oh, yeah, but if we let go, what if it doesn't go right? And what I say to people is I think you're more worried about if it does go right when you let go. Yeah. And and there's a bit of that with parents as well. What if what if our kids don't particularly need us? I say need us as in not as in need love and those things, but don't need us as much for transactional things as they used to. That can have an impact. And so there's a real growth opportunity here. Mate, the other one I've got to chuck in here, and it wasn't I didn't send this out to you before, but I'm sure you've got a got some thoughts. The last eighteen months, and you know, if you think about where we live, um you're you're Melbourne based, you're Melbourne based. Yeah, we're well- Bacchus Marsh. Oh, a great part of the, we used to play cricket out there at Bacchus. So homeschooling, people being, I guess, put into a situation now where you're with with your kids a lot more. So parenting takes on more than the usual thing. I used to be a school teacher and at times, even though I only did it for a short period of time, I'd feel like some parents may, you're the parent now because they're at school with you. But now we've had to take on parenting as well as teaching and everything else. What's worked for you through this period, mate, do you think
1: best? Uh, Mark, I was really lucky because being a, a solo parent, it forced me to get my simplify my life and get everything in order to work around Charlie to start with. The lockdown actually increased my speaking because suddenly there was no difference between overseas and down the road. So yep. we really boomed with uk work out of the uk speaking to organizations over there but co-regulation is one of the most important things with not only parenting but we see it in groups and teams and everything like that enthusiasm confidence all of the rest of it spreads and if somebody drops drops their bottom lip it can spread as well so that's why i say to parents you're only being asked to do your best and if there's a problem to get in touch with the teacher but that's the same standard as what I hold my nine year old daughter to and that's always within our reach workplaces need to be considerate as well and not put them under the pump but I think we put ourselves under the pump because if anyone else is being unreasonable at most times we can dismiss it and say well that's unreasonable but at the moment it's more about focusing on our children's well-being and mental health and making sure we don't damage that connection or love of learning or curiosity. So the teachers will catch this stuff up easily. There are, again, I'll refer people to studies on the outcomes for children in Christchurch lost a full term of learning due to the earthquake, no Hmm. homeschooling, no nothing, and their HSC results actually improved. So, you know, our latest nap plan results have shown that the children have actually improved but they're learning you know if your child's struggling trying to force it on them at the time going no sit there and learn pull them away there are so many things to do take them shopping right charlie there's so much per kilo how many do we need to get to two dollars and you know there are learning opportunities everywhere but the thing is keep them healthy and keep them you know mentally sane the same with you because that co-regulation if you're stressed and burnt out and banging your head against the wall you know and there are times and opportunities for it when they're fatigued give them the day off you know and yeah. realize the teachers will get them back on track
0: and as you also said mate with um, earlier comments about the long line of dads we do tend to mirror what we see so our kids are mirroring our behavior if we're stressed and we're not taking time off and we're They'll become anxious and they'll get caught up in that. So I love your idea of, I'm going to call it incorporating some lived experience into their education, I think is a really, you know, that complements the theory and the textbook stuff. And I, my sense over the COVID times has been that I think we've started to look at lived experience as a, a, it's a coexisting learning tool for the other, the books and all of those sorts of things. So I think you've hit some great stuff. And when you talked about the moments between moments, a lot of those things are simple things. That sometimes we miss because we're looking for the bloody, the atom splitting complicated moment. What do you reckon? Why is it you think if you do that, human beings seem to be looking for the complex and the complicated when it's those little simple things that make all the
1: difference to us? What, what is there, have you ever thought around that? I think a lot of the times, Mark, people confuse simple with effective and complex with more effective. And- yep nearly every process, we need to distill it down and distill it down and distill it down. It's like when I edit a story that I write. I start off with 3,000 words and, gee, when I go through it, I can get it down to about 400. Yep. And that's, you know, less words is better, something I'm I'm still struggling at. But if it was that easy, it can't be good. Well, no, because the simple things are always, well, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough, is a great quote. I forget who said it.
0: Yep. And I think someone says also, you know, in particular, they bring kids into that. If you can't explain your why or your purpose or what you're doing to an eight-year-old, you obviously haven't got it worked out yet. So that's, I think that that sort of is a, is a nice place to to, to bring us into wrap up, mate. So this has been amazing. And I know the listeners will be like, right, So where do we find the books? And how do we find this bloke to get him to do some speaking for us? So what are the best ways to get in touch with you?
1: michaelray.com.au. Uh, there's a store there for the book. If you buy it off, off my website, I actually sign it for you. It's also available through Amazon, Booktopia, Walmart in the US, Barnes & Noble. We're just starting to get into a few bookstores here. I'm not sure uh, where. yet. there's a booking form where you can see what I do on the website as well. But LinkedIn seems to be my social media of most influence if they want to get hold of me
0: as I call it, LinkedIn, the Facebook for business people. Mate, look, this has been amazing. You have shared so many incredible tips and and I love the lived experience and and your generosity of spirit, your your ability to be vulnerable and to share stuff. Because I, I can see you on the screen, you're a big bloke. You're like, I'm looking at you going, geez, he's, this is a big dude with a very warm heart, mate. That's how I'd, uh, I should have used that to start rather than using that at the end. But Michael, thanks for coming on, mate. I really appreciate it.
1: You're welcome, Mark. I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: I've really got to say my brain is hurting, but all for the very right reasons after that one. I saw some of myself in what Michael was talking about, um, you know, of the guilt that I used to have when I'd be coaching my um, my son's cricket team and leaving early with my coat on the back of the chair. Michael being teased by the mums at ballet school for showing some tears. And uh, we talked a bit about why... It's not a bad thing to show that emotion. The moments between moments that he talked about, those simple moments that you should hang on to, that you shouldn't step away from because you're busy and caught up doing something that is caught up in the old way of I'm the provider, so I need to be providing, and that means I need to be working so I can provide things for my kids. The mechanical parts of parenting, the things that we've got to do every day and just keep doing, the boundaries that you can look at making, the boundaries that you set within your workplace – with your boss to say that, hey, there are some things I need to be doing and I'm not going to feel guilty about them. So I'm going to be honest and have that conversation. And then the other way is allowing your kids to set some boundaries for you and giving them that confidence to to start to grow and develop themselves as, I guess, little managers or little leaders at, at an earlier age, as uh, Michael did with, with Charlie. I love leaving loudly and proudly from work. I think this is a a huge one that I've got to start to step into more is don't try and sneak out, don't feel guilty, don't leave your coat on the back of the chair, is have the conversation and leave loudly and proudly and start to role model the types of behaviours that your organization's thinking about, but perhaps not having the role models showing. He talked also about the fatherhood forfeit. I found that fascinating and the concept of co-regulation. So, um, so many good things in there. Such a great uh, honour to have an incredibly inspiring human being, Michael Ray, come onto the podcast. And uh, if you've enjoyed it as much as I have, get those thumbs out, people, and rate it five stars. And if you've liked it, share it with your friends and encourage them to subscribe because there's some really great things for all humans to hear, not just from this episode, but the 80-odd episodes that are part of the Simply Practically Human uh, library now. But until next time, as I always say, keep it simple, keep it practical, and keep it human. Bye for now.